And for those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet this morning, we do welcome you with our congregation. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, for those of you that may be new to Flat Creek, just to remind you that we preach and teach expositionally. And basically, about every uh, the times that we have from to uh, speak uh, the word of the Lord from the pulpit, and then likewise uh, in our Sunday school classes and as the ladies study. So we uh, have been in First Peter now for a, a while, but that's not unusual. And so we are in chapter 2, and in chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, there's a pivot. In other words, Peter is basically changing his uh, direction. There's a long doxology that began in verse 1 and then of chapter 1 and runs through verse 3 of chapter 2. And now we're looking at our identification and our privileges uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning I've changed this a bit. We've talked about honoring the cornerstone, and that's taken from... Uh, uh, the, uh, let's see, verse uh, 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so that is an, uh, a motivation for us to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to begin reading in your hearing in verse 8. We'll read through verse 10. And there Peter says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we're going to focus this morning on those um, four privileges in the first part of verse 9. Now, we're not going to cover them all today, but uh, our goal is to primarily spend most of the message this morning focused on a royal Priesthood. So let's go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. Father, good again to be in your house. We do pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds and make us receptive to the words. We pray that you would remove from within our minds and our souls any distractions, for we are an easily distracted people. We pray that we may look to Jesus who is the chief cornerstone and that he would not become a rock of offense or a stone of stumbling. In all these things we pray in his name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our identity and our privileges are in the cornerstone. First slide, if you would. Brother Jeff better today just to, to begin this message in a similar fashion. In verses, uh, in chapter 2 rather, verses 4 through 10, we have the traits of Jesus that are listed in the verses that we've read this morning, and also we have the traits of Jesus' disciples. So we've looked at Jesus being the living stone. He's living because he was resurrected. We are living stones, plural, and we are alive, believers are alive, because we too have been resurrected with Christ, not as yet in these mortal bodies, but we will be. Uh, Christ was rejected by humans. We just read that in verse 8, and we are exiles and aliens, and that's found in verse 11. In fact, we'll reference that this morning as we move through the passage. Uh, in God's eyes, even though Jesus was rejected by the majority of human beings of all time, in God's eyes, he's chosen and elect. And we just read that from verse 7 of, in your hearing this morning. And for believers, in God's eyes, we too are chosen and elect. We'll approach that in verse 9 here in just a moment. 
In God's eyes, Jesus is valued and honored. And for believers, in God's eyes, we are royal and beloved. So comparison made always, our identity will be in the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone asks you about your identity, one of the best things that you can say is, my identity begins and ends in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, And that will open a door for all sorts of opportunities to share your faith. Next slide, if you would. So we're looking at identification and our privileges. And we've read verses 8, 9, and 10 this morning. We could read 11 and 12 and, and may read them a little uh, later in the message today. But we're... Privilege. Our privileges are because Christ is the elect precious one. We have no privileges in and of ourselves, and we'll see that as we move through the message. He is the cornerstone of God the Father. Now, we didn't read verses 4 and 5, but we'll bring them to your understanding again this morning. There we are told by Peter that we are chosen that we are living temples. Here in verse 9, he says we are chosen and that we are royal priests. He likewise says we are a holy people, a holy nation, and a special people. And we are all of these things because Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is God the Father, stumbling block. And we looked at some of these passages uh, last week and the week before. Now, the story is told of, uh, of a king of Sparta, and this, is, uh, one of the, this was rather one of the Greek city-states. And there was a visiting king that paid uh, this king of Sparta uh, a visit, a state visit, rather. And this uh, king of Sparta boasted to the visiting king of the great walls of Sparta, and if you know anything about Sparta, it did not have any walls. And so the visiting king pointed it out. He said, but see, sir, there are no walls. And the king of Sparta pointed to his troops that surrounded the city and said, see, there are the walls every man a brick. We refer to them today as Spartans and believers, the cornerstone. We are living stones because he is the living stone, because of his obedience. And Peter talks about here in verse, a latter part of verse 8, about being disobedient, which we Broached that subject last Sunday morning. We too, in obedience, not disobedience, will be resurrected to the new eternal life. So turn back, if you would, to verse 4 just for a moment. He says, we, he begins this, uh, this pivotal passage by saying, we are coming to him as a living stone. So all these privileges that are listed here in verse 4, look at verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So all of these privileges, the ones that we read here in verse 9, are ours for the asking. If you're here this morning and do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have these privileges. They are for his special, chosen, specific, born-again believers only. And that's important to remember. There is a dichotomy that exists here. There are those that know Jesus through the pardoning and forgiveness of sins, and there are those that don't. And those are the facts displayed for us in the, scripture, the scriptures alone. So don't be like those 
in the parable of the talents in Luke 19. We read actually Matthew's version, but in Luke it says, but his citizens hated him. This is talking about the heir. His citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And then if you drop down in verse 27, there Jesus says, but bring here, the steward will say, or the, the old landowner will say, bring here these enemies of mine. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible is very clear that we are at enemy, we are enemies of God. Enmity is the old English word that is used. Now, like it or not, that's what the scripture says. We're enemies of God. And so Jesus would say, bring these enemies here who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Speaking, obviously, of the judgment of God. So we have a choice. We can accept Jesus and these wonderful privileges, or we can reject him and he becomes a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. Don't be like those who stood before Pilate that just a few days earlier had said, Hosanna to the son of David. And yet, when Jesus was on trial, they deserted him. Much like Peter, who wrote this particular epistle. And there, as Pilate, was un, uh, Pilate uh, before uh, judging Christ, uh, who was unjustly condemned in Matthew's gospel, it says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd cried, Release unto us Barabbas. For we will not have this man to reign over us. So what Jesus had prophesied in very few days before his unjust uh, uh, trial came to fruition. Don't be like these. Be like individuals that have been moved on by the Spirit of God that have become born again. One of the words, or twice rather in this passage, he talks about us being priests. And that's unique. It's mentioned somewhat in the book of Hebrews, but certainly not in the, the uh, intensity that is mentioned here in these verses, in verses 4 through 10. So I want you to turn with me back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. We're studying the book of Exodus on Sunday night, and it would do you well to come and learn what the book of Exodus has to say, Exodus chapter 19. So I'll give you a little background here. The, he, the Hebrew people have been delivered from uh, Pharaoh. They've crossed the Red Sea now. They are on their way to the Promised Land. A journey of about 18 months ends up taking over uh, right at 40 years because of their disobedience. We'll see that somewhat later on. But they're at the, the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses is their leader. By the way, Exodus 3, we've spent a number of weeks on that on Sunday evening. Um, Exodus, uh, excuse me, Moses is at the foot of Mount Sinai. In Exodus 3, he's back again in Exodus 19. So let's look at, if you would, I want to read the first eight verses, and then I want to drop down and read verse 12, because both of these come into play. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Very same place Moses was in chapter 3. Very same place. So Moses was familiar with it. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God. He went up on the mountain. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came down, and he called for the elders of the people, 
And he laid before them these words which the Lord had commanded. And all the people gathered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Which is great. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that your people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Now here in this particular passage, Moses is the mediator. In fact, his entire last 40 years of life, he mediated between Yahweh, the covenant God, and the Hebrew children. And part of our priesthood is the fact that that earthly mediator has been removed. That's one of our privileges. Now, I'll read 10, 10, 11, and 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Now that's pivotal to our understanding of a royal priesthood. There, there at Mount Sinai, one of the, the most precious commodity that they had was water. It's estimated a million, a million to two million people. So fresh water was, uh, was rare. And he let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. So, back in verse 6, he says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And then in verse 12 he says, however, as Old Testament priests, you can't come before me. We are New Testament priests, and we have one of the great blessings that we have, which will unfold as as we head through the message this morning and next week. One of the great blessings that we have is access with God. Old Testament people, no. So, Yahweh had purposed Israel to be a kingdom of priests, but in a different fashion than you and I. Christ's death, the living stone that died and his resurrection assured us that we are chosen, just as Christ was, that we are a royal priesthood, and that we have displaced Israel under the new covenant. Now, I know this, this gets very theological. This has to do with Jeremiah 33. But I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. So here we are, second book of the Bible, chapter 19. I want you to be a king, kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. But we know the story. They didn't become a kingdom of priests. But they certainly want a holy nation. Let's go all the way to the last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1. College and career class is <coughs> studying. Anxiously studying, I might add. Book of Revelation. Which is good. <clears throat> look at verse 5 actually verse 4 John to the seven churches which are in Asia grace to you peace from him who is who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So John opens the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ with this beautiful doxology. He has made us, those of us that are born again. We don't have a choice in this matter, by the way. And we'll see later on that 
the tribe of Levi, who was chosen to be the priestly tribe, didn't have a choice in it either. God chose us to be a kingdom of priests in Christ Jesus. Next slide. Now there are four things. Look at verse 9. Let's go back now to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we listed these for you when we read through this morning. Four identifications. And these, you need to write the, the initials or write identification. This is my identification over this particular passage of Scripture. And Peter says that we are chosen. As Jesus Christ himself was chosen, we are chosen. Secondly, he says, we are a royal priesthood. Thirdly, he says, we are a holy nation. So the promises that he made to Israel, that Israel lost, are given to born-again people. And we know that because of verse 10. We'll look at that in just a moment. We are kings and priests. That's what John said. Peter talking about it here. Verse 3, we're a holy nation. He talked about holiness Peter talked about holiness to this uh, uh, dispersed people in the latter part of chapter 1. We're kings, we have a holy priesthood, we have a royal priesthood. And we're a special people. What Yahweh promised to the Hebrew people back in chapter 19 of the book of Exodus, when he says you are my special people, is brought to the forefront here in the book of 1 Peter. So these promises are given to you and I as believers. Now let's focus on these four things or we won't get very far this morning. So the first thing he says is we are a chosen generation or we are a chosen race of people. Now this is not red and yellow, black and white race. This has to do with the, uh, the specialness of who we are in Christ Jesus. We are part and parcel of what the Bible refers to as the true Israel. We are bound up in the covenants that God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because we have become inheritors of what God promised Israel. And we'll see that, as I said, when we move to the book of Hosea. The chosen races and new people from all the peoples on earth. And yes, that includes all races. It includes all sexes. It includes every little tribe or whipstitch of individuals that exist. We are those that have come together as the church of the living God. All the colors, all the cultures who are now, look at verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from less fleshly lust. I beg you as aliens and strangers from around the world. We have inherited these privileges of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back again to the book of Deuteronomy. Peter, by the way, quotes from the Old Testament as much as any other author in the New Testament. And let's look at chapter 7. Now in chapter 6, you have the Shema. This is the highest expression of Old Testament law that's been codified. And look, if you would, at verse 4, it says in chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now Peter's going to talk about family beginning in chapter 3. Because these privileges apply to your children if they're born again. And so moms and dads, teach them to your children. Don't leave it to the schools whether they be Christian or not. It is our responsibility as parents to teach these privileges 
to your children. Show them diligently, teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit down for dinner. Talk of them, he says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, let them always be on your tongue. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We talked this morning about Scripture alone. This is Scripture alone. Now look at chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you shall go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. You ought to circle that. Israel is a chosen, was a chosen nation, but they were not a choice nation. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, he's reminding them. Notice what he says. You shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. This gives a lot of people heartburn. And of course, one of the things that did not happen was they didn't utterly destroy them. And so they lost their favor with God. He says, you'll make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them, which they did. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter to your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And that's precisely what happened. But thus you shall deal with them, and you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillows, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. In other words, very little tolerance for pagans. Here's why. Now, God never gives a command without giving the why. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And then he tells them this. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep you, he would keep the oath rather which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Yahweh reiterated yet again what he said before the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 19. Goes into a little more detail here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. You remember last Sunday we looked at Matthew 21 and the parable again of what we had just read in the book of uh, Luke. New Testament believers, Jesus said, I will take this from you. Let's, let's turn, let's go there. Let's read it so that I don't misread it. Matthew chapter 21. Verse 41, they said to him, he will, uh, Jesus said, verse 40, therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these vine dressers? And they said to him, he'll destroy these wicked men miserably. And he leases his vine vineyard to the other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their season. Now Jesus made this prophecy 
while he was in the temple, after he had entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, scripture alone? Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doings marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Now, what, had prophes- what was prophesied in Deuteronomy, Jesus prophesies here. He's reiterating what Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy. The kingdom will be taken, it will be given to a nation bearing fruits. What nation is that? It's the holy nation that Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 2. Peter heard this. And whoever falls on this stone, talking about himself, will be broken. But on, whom, uh, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. And they sought to lay hands on him. They feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Well, their fear didn't last very long because in just a few hours, Jesus would be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. New Testament believers inherit the promises meant for Israel because Israel forsook the commandments and the covenants that God made with them. So we're chosen people, just as Israel was chosen. And we are blessed because of that choice. The second thing that Peter says, and he mentions it twice, he mentions it in verse 5. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 5, he says, You also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we won't get there this morning, but we will next Sunday morning. And we're going to see that one of the responsibilities of the priest was to offer spiritual sacrifices. So you and I have responsibilities. Once we're born again, we're not pew setters. We're gifted to carry out the ministry that God has blessed us with gifts to carry out. And in verse 9, he says, we're chosen, we're a royal priesthood. In fact, he brackets the quotes that he has from the book of Isaiah, the book of Psalms, and he'll quote from the book of Hosea in, chapter, in verse 10. He brackets these with verses 5 and 9. Verse 5 describes our standing with God. We're holy priests and we have a job. Verse 9 indicates that we are recipients of his mercy. <coughs> the scripture says that <coughs> in verse 10. You've not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Now I want to spend the next few moments as we close out this message because what I'm going to cover is going to take a little bit of time here. Today is Reformation Sunday. And we spent a great deal of time on, uh, in the past on Reformation Sundays talking about the five souls, the five alones, the faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, glory to God alone. One of the principles that came out of the Reformation, now understand this, the Reformation did not, uh, <clears throat> wasn't anything, didn't discover anything new. It wasn't a going back and saying, oh, we, we missed this. No, these principles had been known for literally 1,500 years. But over the past 1,000 years or so, up until about the 1,500s, they were glossed over. So there's nothing new here in the scripture. 
the Reformation, one of the principles that was rediscovered, I should say, is the priesthood. Now, I want you to look at something. It's priesthood of all believers. Sometimes we misappropriate and misquote and say it's the priesthood of believers. That's not what was rediscovered. What was rediscovered is the priesthood of all believers. And that is an important distinction. Next slide. As with most truths in the Word of God, Satan does his wicked best distorting what is good. And if you remember, a few Sundays ago, we talked about, and I'm going to quote Timothy George here in just a moment, but we talked about a quote from Timothy George. We're basically talking about the Scripture. He said, we must understand that we have to start with the Scripture alone because our minds, regardless of how educated and how logical we think we are, our minds are steeped in sin. They're there in sin. And so what does Satan do? He takes that sin nature and he twists Scripture. And one of the principles we discovered in the Reformation is the priesthood of all believers, and in many cases this has been distorted. There are folks not here this morning in the house of God, those that, that uh, have chosen not to be here, that are not here because they think that they are permitted the priesthood of believers. Well, let's look at what really is defined by the priesthood of all believers. And you and I, as born-again believers, have this privilege. This is the privilege that Peter is talking about. But we need to understand it. It's defined as the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. Christ is our great high priest. He's priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. And we won't see that this morning. We'll see it later on. Therefore, and I'm included in this, Vance is included in this, all of us are included in this. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, the presence, and the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. And all believers have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of the Scripture. Now, don't misunderstand what's being said. Timothy George, as I mentioned to you before, one of the first students at Lynchburg Baptist College, which is now Liberty University. I think he went two years and then left and went to, to uh, Biola in Los Angeles and then finished there and got his seminary at Talbots, did his seminary at Talbots Theological and then went on to, to uh, Harvard. He now is the founder and dean of Beeson um, Seminary in Alabama. And he wrote, he's a Baptist, by the way. He wrote this. In the community of saints, God has so tempered the body that we are all priests to each other. That's where the word all comes in. To each other. We stand before God and we intercede for one another. We proclaim God's word to one another. And we celebrate his presence among us in worship, in praise, and fellowship. And we celebrate his presence among us. Together. In the house of God. Moreover, 
our priestly ministry does not terminate upon ourselves. I'm not a priest for me. You're not a priest for you. We are priests and part of the fellowship of believers that resides at Flat Flat Creek. We are not many women that are lone wolves in a sea of despair. We have the joint fellowship of others that are part of the royal priesthood. Is that clear as mud? Is it clear as mud? Understand, we are not given the authority to vacate the church because Jesus is the head of the church. When we vacate a Bible-believing, soul-searching, Christ-exalting church, we are vacating, whether we think so or not, Jesus Christ. Our priestly ministry does not terminate upon ourselves. It propels us into the world of service and witness. Now let's go a little further. Next slide. This does not mean I am a priest wholly unto myself. We are not. Paul Altius, who was the author of the theology of Luther, he, well, he's uh, he passed on now. He was a German Lutheran who spent most of his life studying Luther. And Luther was one of the foremost uh, proponents of the priesthood of all believers. And he said this, Luther never understands the priesthood of all believers merely in the sense of the Christian's freedom to stand in direct relationship to God without a human mediator. Rather, he constantly emphasizes the Christian's evangelical authority to come before God on behalf of his brethren and also the world. When we pray, we should pray for ourselves. But we will move away from ourselves. Our identity is not in ourselves. We are to pray for those that God has gifted. And let's see what we have to say here. To come before God on behalf of the brethren, also the world, the universal priesthood expresses not religious individualism, but the exact opposite. The reality of the congregation as community. Because Christ is the king priest, patterned after Melchizedek, We find this in the book of Hebrews. Mike read a portion of it this morning in uh, our Sunday school study. Believers are privileged to share in his anointing. Peter teaches that in this passage of Scripture. Our priestly office. Now, priests dealt with people. Our priestly office finds its origin and its source in Christ's priestly office. We will see this come to the fore when you and I as born again believers stand before the throne of God and we hear as John records in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and they sang a new song. Mike the praise team, our instrumentalist, they do a great job selecting music, leading us in music but there's going to be one day a new song. And that new song we will say Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you've ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Next slide. What's one of the things that Jesus accomplishes through his shed blood? Oh, he he saved me, yes. That's one thing. That's the primary thing, but it's still one thing. Another thing 
that Christ did when he died was he provided to you and I that are born again the privilege of sharing his priestly office. Do you grasp that this morning? I want you to understand that completely. We are a holy and royal priesthood. Matters not whether you're male or female. We are granted that because of his ID. Now in verse 10, Peter writes, we have uh, latter part of verse 9, you've called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but now are the people of God who have not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. This could not have been written nor could it have been said. This is by the way a quote from Hosea chapter 1 which we'll look at next Sunday. This could not have been written nor could it have been done had Israel not forsaken the Lord. That's God's grace. That's God taking the evil works of the Old Testament Hebrew people and turning them to our good. What a God. What a Savior. What love. We proclaim the excellencies of the God who called us out of darkness into light and offered spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ, the sacrifices of our bodies being a living sacrifice. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to God, and be not conformed to this world. That's why we're holy. Our fear today, most of us fear not being conformed to the world. He is our great high priest. I'm going to close with this this morning. <clears throat> Wheaton College, Wheaton University now, I think, which is outside of Chicago, Billy Graham did his undergraduate work uh, at Wheaton before he began his evangelistic <clears throat> ministry. And there is, uh, there is at Wheaton a, uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Center. They built it a number of years ago. Built it before Dr. Graham died. And so they debated, the architects, the engineers, the, the school uh, administration debated, how are we going to, they took this particular verse, by the way, verse 9 of chapter uh, 2 here in First Peter, said, how can we best explain who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light? We need something visual. And so as you enter Billy Graham's evangelistic cinema there at Wheaton, you come into a foyer and then you go into an alcove area and the lights are turned out. And then you see there's one light down a very dark black hall, small that shines. And the tour guide begins to usher you toward that light. And as the light, as you make your way down that particular corridor, the light is intensified, intensified, intensified. Before you start down, they give you time for your eyes to adjust to no light which means that your pupils are now dilated. And as you start down, the brightness of that light is intensive. In fact, they warn you if you have trouble not to go down, go down the particular corridor. But as you make your way down that corridor, the light becomes brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until you're into 
the grand meeting room of that center and you see this particular verse across the top who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light what a God we serve we are royal and holy priest let's pray Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you. Obviously, Father, we've not been able to venture very far today, but that's okay. You've taught us, Lord, that indeed we are priests unto you, and we're priests to each other. And so we thank you for that great promise and privilege that's contained in your word. Perhaps, Father, there are those here this morning or maybe those that uh, are listening that, will, that can't say that they have these privileges. But, Father, they are there for the asking, for the repenting, for the confessing of their sin and calling out to Jesus to save them. And so our prayer that is this morning that they will have passed from darkness into your marvelous light. We pray, Father, that as believers, that we grasp that great truth today. Every single born-again believer is a king and priest to you to offer our spiritual sacrifices in the gifts that you've given to us. Have your sweet will, your divine way in the remainder of the service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the invitation is very simple this morning. If you're here today and do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we can't save you. <clears throat> but there is one that can. He is, and we'll cover this next Sunday, he is the mediator. As Moses was the mediator uh, during the Exodus, Jesus is now the grand mediator, the one only between God and man. And so we can't save you. As we sing, if you make your way toward the front, we'll be glad to take you to a private prayer room and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can leave here with that confidence that you are privileged to know Jesus as your Savior. As a child of God, the Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church. Perhaps you know the Lord is Savior. And you need to follow him in believer's baptism or Unite with us by other means. We encourage you to, to make that decision this day as well. You're here today as a child of God. This is one of those principles that we hear talked about, but we rarely hear taught or preached about. So that's one of the reasons that we're doing that. So that we have a clear understanding of what it means for me and for you to share in the priesthood of all believers. So if the Lord spoke, I want you to come. What number, Brother Mike? 